Welcome to Aaron Menke's Cabinet of Curiosities, a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild. Our world is full of the unexplainable. And if history is an open book, all of these amazing tales are right there on display, just waiting for us to explore. Welcome to the Cabinet of Curiosities. His methods in war are the stuff of legend. He'd never wanted a career in anything else other than the military, after all. Known for his leadership across Europe and the Mediterranean during World War II, George S. Patton elicited pride in his ranks. By all accounts, he was brash, strict, and had a fierce reputation. He frequently inspired his troops with sensational, vulgarity-riddled speeches that shocked allies. In battle, he believed in the most aggressive tactics possible, earning him the nickname Old Blood and Guts. Over the years, many of his actions on and off the battlefield were met with criticism from superiors and allies alike. Off the field, he enjoyed polo, a sport he played with violent, reckless abandon, causing him frequent head injuries. Some suggest those injuries explained his erratic behavior. Others believe that he'd just always been a colorful personality. Either way, I think it's fair to say that the famed general was no stranger to controversy. And though most incidents are attributed to his days in World War II, Patton found himself involved in a memorable incident during the First World War, when he served as a captain under General Pershing. He rose through the ranks quickly and earned a promotion as a lieutenant colonel with the U.S. Army Tanks Corps. He set up a training school, choosing the small town of Borg due to the copious amounts of mud. He also designed and organized practically every detail. Then he led his newly trained men and their tanks into battle twice, earning a Distinguished Service Cross for bravery under fire during the second mission. His work with the tank corps impressed Persing so much that he received a second promotion to colonel. Patton had become quite the hero around Borg, and one day, the mayor paid him a visit. The man was visibly distraught. Naturally, Patton asked him what was the matter. Through a flood of tears, the mayor explained that an American soldier had died and that Patton's superiors had failed to inform him of the tragedy. Taken aback by the man's deep sorrow and not wanting to discuss a soldier's death with a relative stranger, Patton asked the mayor to wait for him while he checked on a few details. When he returned, the mayor insisted that Patton accompany him to the soldier's grave. The two made their way to the location near the training camp, and the mayor wept again as he pointed toward the rectangular earthen mound of mud and dirt. The mayor had already placed a makeshift marker at one end of the mound with the words, Abandoned rear, carefully stenciled on a wooden cross. As the mayor went on about the fallen hero, Patton instantly understood what had happened. The mayor expressed his deepest sympathy for losing such a brave man. Unsure how to handle the situation or even what to say, Patton thanked him for his kindness and concern, and then excused himself. It would be 26 years before Patton would visit Borg again. To his surprise, the residents had never forgotten the fallen hero. They had been so moved by the soldier's sacrifice that they'd maintained the site, providing a proper monument which carried the same message as that temporary marker, Abandoned Rear. To the townspeople, the unknown soldier had become a local hero of sorts. Patton was deeply embarrassed. You see, he'd never told them the truth. The mayor had mistaken a simple mound of dirt for an actual unmarked grave. For once, Patton was at a loss for words. He later sheepishly admitted during an interview the secret he'd kept all those years. 
there was no unknown soldier. All his men had been accounted for that day, and all had been alive. The mayor's tears and deep sadness hadn't been about a man at all. Patton just didn't have the heart to tell him his men had made the mound to fill in the camp's latrine. Open just about any medicine cabinet in America, and you're likely to find chemist Maurice Trenier's invention. And while it's brought relief to millions of consumers, sometimes the advertising outshines the product. In 1928, a flu epidemic raged across America. Hub Beardsley, the president of Miles Laboratory, heard a rumor that despite this, the employees at the local Elkhart, Indiana newspaper were all healthy. This intrigued Beardsley because the rest of the town had been struck hard, including the laboratory that produced a variety of medical remedies. Curiously, Beardsley stopped by the newspaper to investigate. Sure enough, he found that the employees were busily going about their day without so much as a sneeze or cough. Dumbfounded, he asked the editor how the staff had avoided getting sick. The editor explained that the staff had taken a combination of two everyday medicines. Those who had a mild case of the flu symptoms no longer showed any symptoms at all. Seeing an opportunity, Beardsley returned to the lab and asked Trenier to recreate the concoction. Later, on a cruise, Beardsley handed out free samples to passengers who felt under the weather. He handed out 100 pills and was elated that every one of the recipients said that they experienced relief from a variety of symptoms, ranging from headaches and pains to upset stomachs. The product officially debuted in 1931, and although effective, it would be the marketing that catapulted its sales. The product even became the sponsor of two radio shows, sort of an ancestor of sponsors on podcasts. And then in 1951, the popular medicine was bestowed with a cute mascot who promised quick relief. The mascot appeared in over 200 commercials. Various celebrities, from Sammy Davis Jr. to Buster Keaton, all sang the catchy new jingle that has, ever since, become iconic. A variety of music artists sang the jingle as well, from big band to rock artists, including the jingle's creators, the band The Circle, which had two top 40 hits. But by 1969, public opinion had changed. The remedy became associated with something old people took. For a fresh take, the company embarked on some rather hilarious and memorable commercials. Over the years, more celebrities appeared in commercials, including Terry Kaiser of Weekend at Bernie's fame, Peter Boyle, and Doris Roberts. In one animated commercial, a man sits opposite his stomach. The stomach, narrated by Gene Wilder, accuses the man of trying to irritate him. In the end, both man and stomach agree to try the product, if the other is willing. Yet another commercial depicts an incarcerated man who, after eating prison food, bangs his metal cup to demand a product. Soon, even the guards join in. The commercial became so popular that the actor made a later appearance on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, just to reenact the skit. Viewers began to comment that the company's commercials were even better than the TV shows they appeared within. One depicts a man who laments that he's eaten the whole thing. Another has eaten far too many of a fictional Italian dish. With jingles of plop, plop, fizz, fizz, and famous catchphrases of try it, you'll like it, you've probably guessed that this product is Alka-Seltzer. Oh, and the original active ingredients consisted of aspirin, sodium bicarbonate, and citric acid. 
Today, though, the aspirin has been replaced with acetaminophen, the active ingredient in Tylenol. What you might not have known is that Speedy, the product's six-inch tall mascot, became so famous that a limited-edition plastic doll was even released, or that the original figure was insured for $100,000 and kept in a Beverly Hills bank vault. And the rest of those plastic replicas? In 2012, one of them sold for $6,000. If you ask me, that should net the seller a lot of spicy meatballs. I hope you've enjoyed today's guided tour of the Cabinet of Curiosities. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or learn more about the show by visiting curiositiespodcast.com. This show was created by me, Aaron Mankey, in partnership with How Stuff Works. I make another award-winning show called Lore, which is a podcast, book series, and television show. And you can learn all about it over at theworldoflore.com. And until next time, stay curious. Thank you.